This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. We want to continue our studies in the Christian graces that are found there in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 is what we're going to read today. Where it says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. And that's what we want to look at today is adding godliness to patience. But again, let's go back and define some words there in verse 5. The word giving there, parispharo. Vincent's word study says it means to bring in by the side of adding your diligence to divine promises, adding on your part. So we are to be giving or adding on our part the diligence that we use in order to obtain the divine promises. Diligence here from the Greek word spude, and again Thayer's second definition, earnestness in accomplishing, promoting, or striving after anything. So we're to be giving diligence, adding on our part earnestly accomplishing, promoting, and striving after, and in this lesson, godliness. Well, what is godliness? Godliness here is translated from the Greek word eusebia. It's found 15 times in the New Testament. Thayer defines the word this way, reverence, respect, piety towards God godliness. In the classical Greek, the word Eusebia is defined this way, and this is from Vincent's word studies. Quote, the recognition of dependence upon the gods, the confession of human dependence, the tribute of homage which man renders in the certainty that he needs their favor. All this is Eusebia manifest in conduct and conversation in sacrifice and prayer, unquote. So it's the, and then you look at our definition in going back, kind of adding our definition to the classical Greek definition. It is our recognition of our dependence upon God. We humans are dependent on God. And our dependence on God is shown in our conduct, in our conversation, in our sacrifices, and in our prayers. Guy in Wood said of the word godliness here, and I quote, The desire to be godlike is the motive from which all our actions should originate and without which there can be no acceptable service rendered to God." Unquote. So those are explanations or definitions there of godliness. Now what does it mean to add godliness to my perseverance or patience? Well, 
First of all, it means to add the Christian graces to my life. In First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter 1, 3 here, it says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to, unto life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And then he says, Whereby? are given us these great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then he gives us these things that we must add to our lives. So we're to be adding these things to our lives, adding the Christian graces. That's what it means to add godliness to my life. It means also that I am preparing for the second coming of Christ. You look at 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12. Well, 10 to 12. We'll look at 2 Peter 3, 10 to 12. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation, the word there means living, and godliness. If we're going to have godliness in our lives, then we're going to be practicing what verse 12 says. Looking for and hasting unto, the American Standard says, earnestly desiring the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Because we add godliness to our lives, we are going to be looking for that day and living godly lives to prepare ourselves for that day. Well, how do I add godliness to my life? How do I do that? Well, I will consent to wholesome words. Now, consent there is just the opposite of refuse. So I will not refuse wholesome words. I will consent to those wholesome words. Look at 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. It says there, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. So Christ's doctrine shows we must be godliness, practicing godliness. Verse 4, he is proud knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyselves. The American Standard Version there says in verse 5 that godliness is a way of gain. How many, uh, well, how many television evangelists use godliness as a way of gain? 
Of course, they're hypocritical in what they're doing, but that's what they do. They use pretended godliness to gain riches. Well, in order to add godliness to our lives, and we go back over there to Second Peter chapter 1, and you look at verse 3 again, it says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, again, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. How do we gain that knowledge? Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the way of truth. So we must study the Word of God. The American Standard Version there says, give diligence. There's that word diligence again. We must be diligent in our study of the Word of God. And in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And you'll notice it is profitable for doctrine, which is the teaching in which we find what we're looking at today, how to add godliness to our lives, what we're going to be like when we add godliness to our lives. For reproof, reproof, mild form of rebuke there. There are some who need to be rebuked because they're not living godly lives. For correction, we need to be corrected at times, do we not? corrected in a way that we should live, in the way that we're not living properly, for instruction in righteousness. The Word of God instructs us how to be righteous. In verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, truly furnished unto all good works. We have to study the Word of God. It is inspired of God and it's profitable for us to live godly lives. Godliness must be in our lives. In John 12, look at verses 47 to 50. John 12, 47 to 50. Jesus there says, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. <clears throat> he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, <coughs> excuse me, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as my Father said unto me, so I speak. So Jesus is telling us to live godly lives, but he's just saying this is what God the Father says. We need to be obedient and add godliness to our lives. <clears throat> so if I'm going to add godliness to my life, I am going to flee from ungodly quests and pursue godliness. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verses 11 and 12. 
1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. It says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and we're going to look at those things momentarily, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. So he's saying there, flee these ungodly things and follow after righteousness, again, godliness. If we are following or striving to obtain godliness, then we're going to do that in our lives. We have an example of one who got rid of the godliness in his lives, and that's 2 Timothy 4.10. Paul there says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. See, Demas stopped seeking godliness. He started seeking the world because he loved the world. And over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So Demas quit loving the Father. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. See, that's what Demas loved. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. <clears throat> so that's how we add godliness to our lives. But the next question is going to be, how will I live if I add godliness to my life? How will I live? Well, over in Acts chapter 3, we have an event there. Starting there in verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. That would be three in the afternoon, according to our time. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I, such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping, stood up and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now verse 10. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And the, as the lame man which healed 
which was healed, held Peter and John. All the people ran together unto them in the porch, what is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Now notice what Peter says. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at us, or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though our own power or holiness hath made this man to walk? He said, It's not because of us that this man came to walk. But he said, continuing on there, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised up from the dead, whereof we are witnesses, and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is in him by, excuse me, which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know or what that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. So what, what are we looking at there? Peter is telling them there, it wasn't because of our holiness, our godliness or whatever, it's because of Jesus Christ that this man stands whole. Peter added godliness to his life and he was willing to teach the people what they needed to hear. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be teaching our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, the things that they need to hear in order to have heaven as a home whenever the judgment day comes. You know, we're to be holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Look at 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. <clears throat> it says there, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. The word conversation means living. Live a holy life every hour of every day. Verse 16 says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The word holy there means sacred, and this is Strong's definition, pure, morally blameless, or religious. If I or we are going to add godliness to our lives, we are going to be morally blameless, religious, pure, and not for a strict religion or piety, but because we want to obey God. We want to obey God every minute of every hour of every day of our lives. 
Well, another, so I will be holy if I want, if I live or add godliness to my life. But a second thing, if I add godliness to my life, I'm going to live a peaceable life. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Well, beginning in verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Living peaceful lives. The Christian asks civil rulers protection that we may be enabled to quietly perform our duties toward God and man. But living godly lives. In Romans chapter 12, look at verse 18. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Of course, being peaceable, living peaceful lives, well, that's being or acting peacefully. Romans 12, 18. It says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That's the kind of life we're going to have if we add godliness to our lives. We're going to have a peaceful life. Now, some people don't want to live peaceably, but we must do our best to live peaceably with all men. And then Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says there, follow peace with all men and holiness. Without such, no man shall see the Lord. Follow peace here. The word follow means run swiftly in order to catch. Run swiftly in order to catch. We're to live peaceably with everyone. Well, what else? Well, if I'm going to add godliness to my life, I'm going to live a holy life. I'm going to live a peaceful life. Thirdly, I will concentrate my life on being holy instead of being engaged in useless activities. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 7. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Profane and old wives' tales and Jewish, I mean, the pagan religions and the Jewish religion contained numerous useless stories and fables. One of those is found in a work that is called the Targum of Esther. And you're going to find about this same thing in the Koran. You'll see where, and if you study it in the Koran at all, you'll see that the Koran takes a lot of old Jewish fables and puts it in there. Well, this is a Jewish fable, and it predates the Koran from the Targum of Esther. Quote, Again, when Solomon's heart was merry with his wine, he commanded to bring the beast of the field and the fowls of the air and creeping things of the earth and the jinns, jinns would be some kind of spirit like a genie or something, and the spirits, 
and the night goblins to dance before him. At that hour, the cock of the desert was enjoying himself among the birds and was not found. And the king commanded concerning him that they should bring him by force and wish to destroy him. And the cock of the desert returned to King Solomon's presence and said to him, I beheld and saw a fortified city. One woman rules over them all. And the saying was pleasing before the king, and the king's scribes were called, and they wrote a letter, and fastened the letter to the wing of the cock of the desert. Well, she opened and read it, and this was what was written in it. From me, King Solomon. Well, we'll skip that part, and it says, And it came to pass at the end of three years that the queen of Sheba came to King Solomon, and when the queen of Sheba saw that the king sat in a crystal house, she considered in her heart and said that the king sat in water. She gathered up her garments that she might cross over, and he saw that she had hair on her legs, unquote. Jewish fables. Jewish fables. Again, look at that verse. Refuse profane and old wise fables. Profane. Things that are useless. You know, how many people have ever argued who wrote the book of Hebrews? Well, there are a lot of people say Paul did it. Other people say others did it. You know what a wasted lesson would be on that? Who wrote the book of Hebrews? It doesn't matter who wrote the book of Hebrews. The Holy Spirit's the author. Some man wrote it down, but the Holy Spirit is the author. You know, other foolish questions and things like that. Did Adam and Eve have a belly button? I mean, such things just engage in strife. But then also, let's look at Matthew 13.22. Matthew 13.22. It says there, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world, and he becometh unfruitful. What is that? That's being engaged in useless activities. Look also at Mark 4, 18 and 19. Mark 4, 18 and 19. It says, These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the care of this world, cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in. Choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Useless activities. Activities that lead us away from obeying God are useless activities. In Matthew 6.33, it just simply says there, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do we always seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first? Or do, uh, uh, do we decide, well, we need to put something else in there? There's something I want to do. 
that I'm going to put in the place of seeking God's kingdom first. You think about it. How many how many useless activities do we get involved in? How much TV do you watch? How much time do we spend on social media? Now compare that and ask these two questions. How much time do you spend in Bible study? Or how much time do you spend in prayer? Useless activities. Well, if I concentrate and I add godliness to my life, my life will be profitable both to me and to others. 1 Timothy 4, 8. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. It says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, and having the promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Bodily exercise, is there profit? Yes, there's a little profit to it. But exercising godliness, piety towards God, is much more profitable. You know, Albert Barnes in his commentary wrote this about that. Quote, Bodily exercise here refers doubtless to the mortifications of the body by abstinence and penance, which the ancient devotees and particularly the Essenes made so important as a part of their religion. Unquote. So he's saying that the bodily exercise here are the things that they kept from their bodies. And Adam Clark, in his commentary, makes this comment, quote, Those gymnastic exercises so highly esteemed among the Greeks are but little worth. They are but of short duration. They refer only to this life and to the applause of men. But godliness has the promise of this life and the life to come. It is profitable for all things, for both time and eternity, unquote. Bodily exercise. You know, how many times do we get involved in so many things that we don't have any time for God? You know, I don't mind getting out and exercising, but I'm not going to spend more time exercising, or I shouldn't at least, than I do obeying God. What about other things, though? The things of this world. How much time do we spend in them and we don't spend time being in obedience to God? Well, if I add godliness to my life, I'm going to be content with what God has given me. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, now we're going to read verses 6 through 10 where he says there, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, you put those two together. Godliness, being reverent to God, and contentment, being satisfied with what we have, is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You know, we're not going to be taking anything with us. Now, over in Revelation chapter, keep your marker here, and over in Revelation chapter 14, 
verse 13, it says there, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. We're not going to be taking any wealth with us, but the things we do in this life are going to be with us. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, 2 Corinthians 5, 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he, that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So our works are going to follow us, whether they be good or bad. Revelation 14, 13 is talking about those good works. Those who were faithful to God, those who added godliness to their lives. Now go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 8 says, And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. If we have food and we have clothing, be satisfied. Don't be longing for everything else. You know, how many people are jealous of those who are of wealth? And how many people want to become wealthy and they gamble, they play the lottery, things such as that? That's not adding godliness to our lives. Godliness would be abstaining from those things. But verse 9, But they that will be rich, in other words, they long to be rich, they want to be rich, the American Standard says they're minded to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And perdition is just a synonym for destruction. Verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they've erred from the truth and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Many sorrows there because they love wealth. They love things. And what good, you know, you think about it, oh, I just got this new thing. But you know what? Whenever you've had it for a day, it's an old thing. But if you've got food and you've got clothing, be content, be satisfied. That's what God has promised if we follow him. In Philippians chapter 4, look at verses 11 to 13. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 15. This shows what we will be like if we add godliness to our lives. Paul says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned that in whatsoever state or circumstance I am, therewith to be content, be satisfied, whatever circumstances come my way. He said, verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. In other words, I know how not to have anything and I know how to have a lot and I'm satisfied either way. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
that is a godly life. Be satisfied with the way things are. In Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 say, Let your conversation, in other words, your life be without covetousness. In other words, be free from the love of money. And that's what the American Standard says. And be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Be content. Be content with the things that we have because God's there. You know, there in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, he said at the very end of that, he says, For I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Well, also, if I add godliness to my life, I won't pretend to be godly. In other words, I won't be a hypocrite. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. It says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Well, we see that, don't we? And here's how it describes them. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Well, look at a few of these words before we go to verse 3. We love our own selves instead of loving others and God. We're covetous. We're wanting to be rich. We're wanting things others have. Boasters, look what I did. Look what I can do. Proud, looking at others as below you. Blasphemers or railers, talking bad about others. Disobedient to parents not obeying what your parents say. Unthankful. Not being thankful for anything. Unholy. In other words, you're not trying to be holy as God is holy. You're just doing the opposite. Verse 3. Without natural affection. Without natural affection. What better example of a person not having natural affection than a mother aborting her baby, killing her baby, torturing and executing that baby. Truce breakers. You make a truce with someone, you break it. False accusers, that's slander, slandering others. Incontinent, which means not practicing self-control. Fierce, someone who's always angry and troubling and wanting to start a fight or whatever. Despisers of those that are good. You look at someone who's living a life that's right and you despise them. 
traitors. Well, you're a traitor. You're not doing, you're not following, you know, you're a traitor to your government or to your family or whatever. Traitor to God, like Demas was. Heady means rash. High-minded. Yeah, you look at yourself as being above others. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Sown among the thorns, remember. Having a form of godliness, an appearance of godliness. But denying the power thereof from such turn away. People want to have an appearance of godliness. You know, I've been watching swamp people some. And people in there are always saying, if the good Lord does this for me, and then they go out and cursing and things like that. They want to have a form of godliness. I was watching a young man there in a fishing deal, and he always oh, he always has a little devotional beforehand or read a little something after the program, and I always turn it off because he dresses immodestly, his wife dresses immodestly, always using euphemisms, but they have an appearance of godliness. And he says, from such, turn away. Turn away from them. Why? Because they're hypocrites. They're nothing but hypocrites. So adding godliness to my life is essential if I want to have eternal life. I or we should desire to be pleasing God in everything we do. We need to ask ourselves, am I pleasing God in everything I do? To be godly means that I will accept the word of God and obey it. Will I accept Hebrews 10.25? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Or will I practice that willful sin that is found there in Hebrews 10.26? I will flee from the ungodly and useless things of this world. There are things that take up so much of our time that we fail to prepare for eternity. But if we add godliness to our lives, we're going to be preparing for eternity. I'll be content with what God has given me. As is mentioned, you have food, you have clothing. We even have shelter. Be content with that. And don't be a hypocrite. Don't pretend to be godly, but strive to be holy as God is holy. Well, again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We hope you enjoy this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.